Hello, good morning. Hi, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. How many of you noticed that word that Mark gave last night about the gate, the gatekeeping church? Anybody, anybody catch that? For It was just this last couple of weeks that people were reminding me that, you remember when we did the gate conference? And uh, it was around that, around that time where I was speaking a lot on Isaiah 62.10, which uh, says, go through, go through the gate. It says, prepare the way for the people, lift up a banner, remove the stones. And it, at that time, when we had the gate conference and Nolan Clark was here, and, and we built, we built uh, uh, a wall along here with actual gates, and I think we had those gates up and the wall up for about seven years. And it was sort of a defining fixture for a long time because it represents in the spirit what the church is supposed to be. Right? Genesis 28, when Jacob comes to that place and he has the dream and angels are ascending and descending and he says, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And so today, as we gather to be the church, we are meant to be the gate of heaven. We are meant to be the house of God. We are meant to facilitate via our faith and our worship to facilitate the ascent and descent of angels and hear the voice of the Lord concerning our destinies in the house of God. So we're going to worship here this morning. And, uh, and I encourage you to release your faith to expect that God will speak to you concerning your destiny today, concerning our collective destiny concerning the destiny for this region. You know, one of the other things that Mark said last night, he says that this region, including Edmonton, is meant to be a gate city. What also he doesn't realize, I believe, is that when Edmonton was founded, it was founded to be a, a resource gate for the north. Did you know that? It was, it was actually to be a gate for supplying for the north. And so we want to we wanna pray into and believe into that that spiritual destiny where God founded the cities in this region and called men to settle here, that purpose that he had in mind, that it would be accomplished in and through us today. Not just in the natural, but in the spirit. So, Father, we want to say to you that you know. We declare to you that you know what we do not know. You know the fullness of the picture, the revelation for not only our lives individually, but our lives collectively. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you would forge us together in purpose and in unity and in love to be that expression of the kingdom of God in this region that you want us to be. Lord, we say with all of our hearts, we say today, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray that as we worship today, that the sum of our faith will be saying, Come, Lord Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. God, we say, Come to the earth and fill this place with your glory. Oh, glorious Father. Just as we're leaning into the Lord here, I keep getting this prophetic picture over and over. And those of you, we've got a few plumbers in the house. 
You know, when you install a system to carry water from point A to point B, and that has been a part of the theme of this weekend, you know, uh, it, it needs to be sound. I mean, if there are any leaks, uh, of course, it's going to destroy the home. It's not going to do what it's supposed to. And that somewhat represents the life that we have where God is calling us to, to be a part of a system that brings water from point A to point B. And what you do when you install that system is you release the, the water pressure and then you, you go and check for leaks. You go and check where places where the seals aren't quite right. And I believe that there are many in this room that that is sort of the tale of your life where God has set some things in place around a certain anointing, or a certain calling, a certain gifting, and he turned that water on. But there began to be leaks here and there. Maybe you didn't realize that, but he then turned off the water in order to go back and fix some of those leaks. And so, and then he's turning the water on again. And there's a series of ebbs and flows of this in our lives. But what he intends to do is to turn up the, the water pressure, the PSI that he slowed through our lives in the past is nothing compared to the PSI, the amount of water, the amount of pressure, the amount of anointing, the amount of God's glory that he wants to pass through our lives. And the question is just this. It's the question is, are there going to be leaks? Are the joints going to hold? Uh, is your life going to hold together when that greater power begins to flow through it? And God has been systematically identifying those places where there is weakness, not to condemn us, but to say, hey, I want to fix this. I want to deal with this so that more can be passed through your life without doing damage to you or the environment in which I want to pass this life. So, Father, we seek your face today, and we are saying, God, do what you need to do. We don't want to be found broken in that time. Lord, we don't want to be found not able to do that thing that you've called us to do. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we say continue the work. Continue the work. Come on, let's lift up our voices. Let's declare it. There's something about saying what you believe to be true. There's something about saying it out loud. There's something about declaring it. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save, not tomorrow, but today, right now. He is mighty. Now, keep in the spirit, I... There are people in this room who have confused a rising of faith with a rising emotion. And, and there are people in this room that are almost objecting to any emotional thing. You, you write off everything of the rising of faith that brings a declaration to some emotional stir. But I want you to know that David encouraged himself that every time that Samson went to move in the spirit, he says he stirred himself, he shook himself. You know, there is actually a shaking of yourself that causes the rise of faith in you that brings you to a declaration. And it's not necessarily emotion. Emotion might rise at the same time. And it may feel to you that what is faith is the same as emotion. But I'm telling you, it's not. That there is a great divide between these two things. And God is saying to you, today, today is a day of salvation to you. That today is a day of breakthrough, that you need to rise up. And the music sometimes seems to stimulate emotion, but there's more going on than mere emotion. Don't write this off as emotion. 
Don't write this off as something soulish and carnal because faith is being stimulated in you. But he says, but the victory is near you. Where is it? It's in your mouth. That when you begin to speak out what you believe to be true, that's when kingdom things are solidified in your life. But in the past, it took a, a great emotional wave for you to open your mouth and say anything. And God is saying, don't wait for that wave. Just do it because you know it is true. You know it to be true. We know it to be true. We know it to be true. You are mighty to save. You know, there could be, there could be a hesitation not only on, oh, no, I don't want it to be emotionalism, but what about all this repetition? Doesn't the Bible warn us against repetition? No, it doesn't. The Bible warns us against vain repetition. We know that the elders are before the Lord 24-7 for eternity, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Again and again and again, and it's not vain. It's not vain because it's the truth and because it raises faith. And so as you declare that God is mighty, don't think about, well, we already did this 73 times. That's okay. Let's do it 75. Let's do it 135 times as we don't let it be vain, as we allow our spirit to rise and to declare the might of our Heavenly Father. As we're singing this, I'm seeing pictures of spring. I'm seeing fresh green shoots sticking out of dead ground. And the sounds and the movement and the atmosphere of spring and life. And it's, there's, there's a couple of people in particular that this atmosphere of optimism is coming back to your life again. And it's almost like you get afraid because you've had hope deferred so often. But God is saying to you, listen, son and daughter, that your, your ability to hope is not as great as your ability to believe. And that the two are not necessarily the same. You have lived in, ho- in optimism and you've seen your, cru- your hopes crushed. But there's a new wind blowing in your life. That there is a substance of spiritual faith that I'm blowing upon, breathing upon right now. And I believe God is saying, let it bloom. Let it blossom in your heart right now. Let it renew the dreams, the promise that you heard so many years ago. You know what I believe is in the room? The shout of faith. The shout of faith is in the room. The release of hope. You know, when Israel had these moments where they were told to shout, they may have done it out of obedience, but God had a better plan. He said, listen, there's something released when you shout out of hope, out of faith. There's a there's the sound of a breaking. There's a sound of a moving in the mulberry bushes. There's a sound of breakthrough. The breakthrough of many waters is right before us. This is real. This is real. This is real. Whether it materializes right here or in China or in India or in Toronto, we declare today that you never fail. 
You never fail. You never fail. You never fail. You never fail. Man, there's just, there's so many things that are clear in the room. And if you are ever discouraged, if you're discouraged coming in, if you're discouraged about your destiny, about this day, about God's plan, this is the moment to renew your strength. And it's not by accident that these moments of clarity come because literally through worship, we are, there's an ascension into a place where certain truths become self-evident. And that's what happens when we worship and when we draw near to him, is we come into his world where what he knows to be true becomes clearer to us. And, and it meets together with our hearts and causes a cataclysmic release of faith, which behind that comes the manifestation of the kingdom. And, uh, and we have to learn to do that daily, 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 daily. And especially when there are setbacks in our circumstances. When, like the disciples, the way that things unfolded was not as they expected. And you know, they didn't respond very good. You know, they mostly moped around. We don't, have, we don't want to be the ones that mope around. We want to, when, our, when our hope is dashed, we want to be renewing our strength. Amen? Renewing our strength. Renewing our strength, renewing our strength by coming back to that place where, no, it is true. No, it wasn't a dream. You know, what are, the, what are the promises that God spoke over you five years ago, ten years ago, that you were so excited about for a season, you were leaning into, and then all of a sudden, you know, it seemed that you were moving towards it, all of a sudden it seemed to be a setback. It wasn't a setback. God turned off the water flow to fix, fix some breaches in the seals and in the joints of your life. But the waters will flow again when God's maintenance is done. And it's not a matter of it disappearing. It's a matter of a, of a process through ebbs and flows of bringing you to a fullness. And at the end of the day, we're going to say, Oh God, how marvelous are your ways. God, why did, I, why did I ever become hopeless? Why did I ever become despondent? God, why did I ever doubt? Oh, God, you are so true. And it's moment like, moments like these when you can renew that, okay, I'm in for the long haul. I'm in for the whole thing. Lord, you're the author and finisher of my faith. I don't even know how to do this. So author and finish. Go ahead. You do it. Author and finish my faith. I am, I'm presenting myself to you today. I won't quit. I won't back off. Amen? Yes. Is Jackie here? Jackie, you still here? Where is she? Why don't you come and share that thing that... Uh, on, on Friday night, I saw the Lord off in a distance. And it's interesting because Pastor was saying that he felt the Lord uh, keeping his presence in a distance. And I saw him about... 100 to 150 feet away, and, and I was kind of straining to see what he was doing because he was, he had uh, other bodies around him, and he kept on saying to me, Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin. 
and he was conferring with these ones around him, and it was in direct correlation with what we were bringing him. He was watching us, and then he would respond, and he was conferring with these ones around him, the Sanhedrin of heaven, and uh, as he was conferring with uh, one, he would speak to them, and he would uh, have him shift over and bring another one over and speak with him, and they were conferring with one another, and I believe this was the Lord's enjoyment to do this, and he called in angels. I felt like they were messenger angels. And he whispered. He whispered. He didn't speak it out. He didn't shout it out. He whispered into their ears. And I believe that they were secret strategies that he was releasing over this body. And it was in direct response with what we were bringing him. And then he sat again and he watched again. And again, in response to what we were bringing him, he stood up again, and he, he called, and he conferred, he conferred, he called in more angels, and uh, he spoke secretly into their ears and released them. And I believe that their secret strategy says releasing over this body uh, as a corporate body, and, and I believe over, over our individual lives, the things that you've been crying out for an answer for, these strategies are coming to you. I believe that uh, for the next little while, you're going to hear strategies coming from heaven. Uh, in, uh, into your situation. And, to, and over this corporate body, what he wants us to continue to bring to manifest uh, upon the earth, to continue to sow into heaven, that he may bring it down and manifest upon the earth. Amen. So, Father, release your mysteries, release your strategies, and may we come into line with those things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you have enjoyed Mark here uh, Friday, Saturday? Yeah, it's great. I think it's the beginning of a, of, a, of a good relationship. I believe in long-term relationships, so um, so I'm, I'm, I've been blessed by the things he has to share. We have, you know. Well, God is mighty to save, amen. Over the last uh, 50 years in a lot of church circles, that word saved has been hijacked to simply refer as the end-all and end-all to the initial salvation experience. But when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, he used the word sozo. And the word sozo is the same word that a physician would, would have been used of a physician to heal somebody sick or a seamstress to repair a torn garment. And for sure, there is that amazing introductory experience with Christ. When we're born again, we come into the kingdom, we come into the family of God. But really, every day of your life, God wants there to be at least a little bit of a sozo experience where we're growing to be more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, and we're growing in the wholeness of the Lord, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Well, we've had a good time here, and... Uh, uh, Matt, how's your stomach doing? Still good? Matt's like the poster boy when I come here. He always experiences some sort of healing. Would you come up here real quick, Matt? So last time uh, I was here, you had, uh, actually it was a miracle. You didn't have arches, and God created arches. Yes. Just quickly, tell me about that. So I went from being completely flat-footed to having time. arches. Yeah, I, that's just been normal. Um, Playing sports and stuff, my knees just hurt because I had a condition called Osgood Slatter's disease, which is basically where your feet are flat and your knees start to slant in, and that's just been normal for me. Um, so when Mark was here last time, prayed for my feet, and I had arches, and um, they started to form, and they actually got more intense over the next couple of days. 
um, and I knew I'd been healed, but what really stood out was uh, I have to have these special insoles in my shoes, um, and I haven't had to wear shoes because it's summer, so wearing sandals and Crocs all the time. So anyways, I went to put these shoes on that have these arch sports in them, and they didn't even fit right. Like, they were so uncomfortable, I actually had to take them off and not wear shoes. Um, so I actually have to go buy new shoes, which is awesome. Um, and then the stomach issue, um, it's been getting better, but there was still something that, like, you know, I would eat stuff and just wouldn't quite sit right. Sometimes it would be good, sometimes it wasn't. Um, so Mark prayed for me the other night, and we went to McDonald's right after the service, and it sat completely fine. And trust me, that doesn't happen. McDonald's is kind of like the threshold that doesn't get broken. Um, and so when you were here uh, last night, um, my left hip has been bugging me, not as much since my knees have been better, um, but it was still, you know, it would click every once in a while. It was just this discomfort. And when you prayed for me last night, um, you were praying for realignment in my spine, but I, my spine got better, but I could feel this fire in my hip. I still feel it, actually, and it's just been really specifically in that spot. Um, and I've been asking God, like, I would love for this hip to just be healed. Um, I really want to get in shape this year, and doing leg raises and stuff is really hard when your hip clicks every time. So um, I, I don't even have to test it out. I know it's healed. God is doing more in there. And I'm just going to be absolutely able to thrive because my arches are fine. My legs are good. I'm growing taller all of a sudden. My hips are good. Um, I can eat and actually get nutrients into my body. Like, um, I, for one, am very grateful for you. And I hope you come back again because I seem to get breakthrough every time you come. Well, at the rate you're going, you should pay the airline tickets. <laughs> Bless you, man. Bless you. We'll pray for uh, healings along those lines uh, later on at the end of the meeting because testimonies impart faith, don't they? But uh, uh, it's been really good being with you both times, but especially we really had had a sense of breakthrough. Friday night I spoke about that it's nothing at all difficult for the Lord to bring water out of rocks, and not just in the supernatural, but... Uh, the rock itself, as Israel experienced, but we are the living stones being fit together, making the church not made with hands. And God wants to bring just torrents of living waters of his spirit out of each of us. And last night spoke about the prophetic call upon you all to be a gateway church, a Joseph type of church, to just release the encouragement and wisdom of God, even as Joseph did with Egypt that um, brought deliverance to so many people. But this morning, I want to focus a little bit on some practical keys because, you know, you can hear prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, and it can stir you, it can stimulate you, but if you don't get the keys how to walk in it, then you don't always get the full fruit of it. But I want to give a couple of real quick prophecies, and one, this is for you, Ken. Um, Ken, there's a fresh thing coming on you for worship, and... uh, and I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me during worship about you out of Ezekiel and the commissioning that God did of Ezekiel in the first part of the book. And one of the things he said to Ezekiel in uh, chapter 3, verse 9, like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. And I believe, and I don't, I've never talked to you about this. I haven't had that many uh, conversations with you. It's been more social. Um, we've been together with the groups. But I believe God has put a, a burning prophetic fire in you with the pr- contemporary worship scene to 
move past the fluff that's out there, especially the aspect of what I call narcissism, worship songs that are all about us and have taken the eyes off the glory of God. But there's something prophetic on you to push through. And I believe there's some songs you're going to write in the next couple of years that are going to be smack of the glory of God. They're going to cut like a knife, and you're just going to push through so much of the stuff going on in, in worship. It's, it's not bad, but it's not always really glorifying to God. And in line with that, it says in Ezekiel 3.12, the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. And with the prophetic increase that's coming to you in writing worship songs, uh, it's, it's going to be opening people up to the sound of the Lord. As we, as we talked about last night, uh, behold, that uh, joyful sound that uh, just opens things up. And I want to encourage you. I think there's some incredible songs, prophetic things. They're not just for this congregation, but to go beyond this congregation for other churches. And uh, uh, where is the gentleman I met at the books uh, table out there? Uh, Jim, is that your name? Jim, I have a, a brief word for you. And this is uh, out of the story of when Elisha first began to start ministering after Elijah was taken up, that he came to where the group of the prophets were as he crossed the river. And they were setting up uh, cooking and doing all sorts of things. And one of the prophets was cutting wood, and the axe head flew off his axe and uh, went into the river, which meant it was lost. And he uh, went into conniptions because uh, he had borrowed that axe. And uh, axes were very, very expensive. They'd be like a farmer's tractor today of that much value. And he was just incredibly worried and stressed. And, uh, but Elisha uh, blessed it, the situation, and that axe actually rose to the top of the water, and it was recovered. And I felt like the Lord uh, was saying, this is not to embarrass you in any way, but I feel like the Lord said in the last several years, there's been a sharpness uh, spiritually that you sense you've lost, that your ability to cut through things in vision and clarity and uh, decisions and things, that it, things have gotten a little bit dull, like the axe isn't as sharp. But the Lord said, you're in a season where God is restoring a lot to you. And there's going to be clarity and a sharpness, and God has created you to be a tool that opens things up for other people. And I just want to encourage you that you're... Does this make sense to you at all? A little bit? <laughs> But I, I will pray later on, but I want to encourage you. You're coming into a season where maybe some things you feel have been lost are going to be really restored to you. Somebody else is excited for you anyway, so there we go. Uh, let's jump into things. Uh, I'm going to talk today uh, about one of the most essential aspects of life itself, especially if, as a Christian, if you're going to merge into greater authority and fruitfulness, and that is how you use the tongue. James said it cannot be that we use our tongue both for cursing and blessing. And most Christians I know don't go around using four-letter words all the time. Maybe they do secretly when they're stuck in traffic in Southern California, where I'm from. But uh, uh, when I talk about Christians cursing, I'm not talking about necessarily using four-letter words but I'm talking about grumbling and complaining. Because when we grumble and complain about ongoing problems, we're actually confessing more 
faith in the problem to prevail than we are faith in God to prevail over the problem. And actually, what I want to speak about this morning, I call prophetic boasting and blessing in the Lord. Now, we understand a little bit of the concept of blessing. I'm going to speak about that. But boasting is not something we associate with uh, normal Christian biblical living. But in Psalm 34, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that when he was actually seeking God about some ongoing problems in his life, and I believe it was the persecution he faced so many times, God had spoken to him, and God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Paul went on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell within me. And that's really enigmatic because when we think about boasting, we think about talking about our accomplishments, our strengths, what we achieve. But the Apostle Paul, the man who shook the world with the gospel, is saying, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weakness. That's just, you know, completely contrary, you know, of what boasting is about. But Paul realized this kingdom secret that when he had weakness, it really motivated him to lean into the Lord. And as he leaned into the Lord, he realized the power of God on a deeper level. Words are so critically important. And we live in a day and age, and I, I, I lived in Canada for six years in Ontario from 92 to 98, and I still do a lot of ministry in Canada. But I don't think your media, I may be wrong on this, I don't think your media and your bloggers and your talking heads and your internet voices, I don't think it's quite as, as bad as in the States. But all over the Western world, there is a freedom today for people to say whatever they think, whether it's based on truth, whether it's based on fact, or just what it's based on their opinion. People are stating anything and everything they feel as if it's truth, and so much of it is not. There is power in words. In fact, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, Death and life are found in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And it's interesting that in most translations it says, First, death is found in the power of the tongue. Well, if God is all about life, including abundant life, why does he first mention death is found in the power of the tongue? I believe he's recognizing that in humanity's fallen condition, we are so prone to criticizing, grumbling, and complaining. And there is a place for constructive criticism. Most of the uh, epistles by Paul and Peter were written because they were dealing with problems in the church. But there's a way of speaking about problems that build people up, of the tr releasing the truth in kindness rather than condemnation and just words of futility. The very first picture we have of God in all of the Bible, Genesis 1, it says in the Hebrew there was confusion over all the earth. But rather than just diss it and start over again with the new creation, God spoke and he said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be fruitfulness, there was fruitfulness. Let there be vegetation, let there be the animal realm, let there be man in my image. And all these things took place. First he spoke, and then the reality of it came into being. 
One of my favorite passages in the Bible, something I pray quite a bit, is Psalm 89, verse 15, that says, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. And again, we see this first comes the sound, and that sound could be a song of worship, as we just did. By the way, there was a a period, I don't know, about 20 minutes of worship this morning that reminded me of some of the best worship I've ever experienced. This has been way out in the middle of nowhere in uh, some of the fields of Africa. And uh, I've been out there when we've done bush conferences. We'll have three or 400 pastors. Some of them have walked for days to be there. And uh, sometimes at night we'll have several thousand people because local villages will be the entertainment. And so they'll come, you know, to, and they'll end up hearing the gospel. And we have some amazing things happen. But, you know, they, don't, they can't afford what we have here. And typically there'll be a band up on a makeshift stage out in a field somewhere under a tree to protect them from the sun during the day. But all they'll have is about four or five pieces of percussion. And we had at least at one point five, maybe six people playing percussion for a period of time. And they'll have like one beat-up keyboard, a type of keyboard that some church in the United States got rid of 20 years ago because it was ready to be trashed. And they thought, oh, I'll bet a church in Africa can use it. Isn't that nice that God gives us his best, but we want to give a second hand? That's another message anyway. I won't go there. But they'll be playing these keyboards that are actually sometimes missing keys and don't make quite the sounds they're supposed to. But I've been with these groups where we'll spend like two to three hours sometimes just worshiping the Lord. And, you know, I I appreciated what Jim said about repetition. There is a reality to vain repetition, but there's also the reality of really pressing in upon God. And it's not so much for God's benefit. It's our benefit going deeper into the truth, the wonder of who he is. But I felt like for a period of time here, 20 minutes, I was back in some of the best worship experiences I've had out in the middle of nowhere in Africa. But how blessed are those who make the joyful sound. It could be a song and worship. It could be words you're praying out to the Lord. But first comes the sound, and then, O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance. It's interesting that Sound travels, depending upon humidity and depending upon the altitude, sound travels somewhere between four and 800 miles an hour. But then you go from sound vibration to the speed of light, and it's an incredible acceleration. The speed of light travels at approximately 196,000 miles per second. So first God spoke, first sound came forth, and then the light came forth. Sound again, traveling between four and 800 miles an hour, but then all of a sudden light at 196,000 miles per second. How many of you would say that's acceleration? How many of you would even say 400 miles an hour is fast? Now, I have a, uh, I have a passion for motorcycle riding, and I bought a new, and that new was new for me, three years old, a Ducati motorcycle last October. And... Uh, that thing is just incredible. It only weighs about 415 pounds, but it has 150 horsepower. That thing is so stinking fast. And uh, it's, it's, it's faster than I'll ever go on it. You don't need to tell my wife on it, but you, it has six gears. Even in third gear, you can hit 100 miles an hour. Don't ask me how I know that. I just, I just know that. But 100 miles an hour is very fast. 400 miles an hour is quite a bit faster 
but 196,000 miles per second, the speed of light, it, it just uh, it boggles the mind, and that's a theological word right up there with discombobulation. But I'm not saying what you'll find some of the New Agers say, that we are gods, and when we speak words, we create. But what I am saying, because we've been created in God's image, we're called to look at the difficult situations Sometimes in our lives, in our families, sometimes with family members, sometimes in our work situation, sometimes what's going on in the body of Christ, sometimes what's going on in a nation, the nations. And rather than grumble, complain, or diss the situation, or just give up, we're called to prophetically bless the situation, which is a little bit different from merely prophesying. But there's a boasting that God gives us, and he calls us to do in the promises of God. I want to read to you from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, David wrote. He sang, actually. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This has approximately 13, maybe 14 separate boasts about the big picture that David is making. He is saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And even though we may be walking what through seems like the valley of death or despair... We don't have to fear evil because we can boast that Emmanuel, Jesus, is with us. His rod and his staff, his protection, his leadership, they comfort us. And even in the midst of our enemies, even in the midst of problems, God is capable of setting a banqueting table for you. He anoints our head with oil, and you know, in the Old Testament times when they would anoint someone as king or prophet would anoint someone as ministry, they would pour oil on them, symbolic of the flow of God's spirit that was going to take place. It's a prophetic picture. But David continues, my cup overflows. They say there's two types of people in the world. There's people that wake up in the morning, they say, good morning, Lord. Then there's people that wake up and they say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> You could look at it a different way. You could say there's people that their cup is always half empty and people that their cup is always half full. Prophetically, though, we can look beyond whatever we're seeing in the current situation and we can boast in the big picture and we can say, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy, loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This is what I refer to as big picture boasting, that 
we don't base our confidence in the things that are seen, Paul said. We base, both start, we base our confidence in the things that are not seen. But there's also, in addition to big picture boasting, biblically speaking, there's what we could call situational boasting. A number of years ago, I was speaking at a church in uh, uh, Champaign, Illinois, and uh, we'd done four nights, lots of ministry, and the last night I was walking out, I was kind of tired, just wanted to uh, get back in the, the car, and uh, the pastor was going to drive me uh, back to the hotel. And uh, I've got kind of uh, eagle eyesight radar when people want prayer, and I don't want to pray for them. And uh, it was a good-sized church, good-sized sanctuary, and I'd finished praying for people up front, and the pastor had to talk to a few more people. So I grabbed my, my stuff, and <clears throat> I said, give me the keys to your car. I'll wait in the car. So I was heading diagonally to the exit. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye this woman with uh, like a five, four, five-year-old boy. She has her eye on me. So being the man of God and faith that I am, I start walking faster to the door. <laughs> she starts walking quickly to the door. I've got long legs. I started walking faster. I'm moving at a pretty good rate now. She starts jogging, and it's like this boy was like a flag in the breeze behind her, you know, and she cut me off at the pass. <laughs> she got to the door right before I did, and uh, she said, my son needs a miracle. <laughs> in fact, she really said something like, my son needs a miracle, and God wants to do that miracle. She was boasting in the Lord. And I said to her, what kind of miracle does your son need? And she said, well, look at his feet. He was wearing sandals. And I think it was his right foot. He had a terribly deformed right foot. It was a club foot. The left one was perfectly normal, but the right one, it literally looked like a two-by-four block of wood just covered with skin. The toes were short and deformed. I mean, we, we talked about Matt, you know, who had no arches. His whole foot was just raised up like a block, and it was short uh, just and he uh, couldn't walk right, and his mother said that whenever he tried to run, he would just fall and trip. And uh, they didn't have insurance, and the, the doctors said even if there was the money to do the operation, they're not really sure they could get it right. It was just so messed up. And the mother said, God wants to do a miracle. Will you pray for him? And I didn't feel like praying for him. I felt like I'd used up all the faith I had the last uh, four nights of meetings. But, you know, I put on my best pastoral smile, and uh, I knelt down. I put my hands on his foot, and I began to pray. I don't remember exactly what I prayed, but something like, Lord, would you release your miracle power? Would you recreate his foot here? And it happened so quickly, literally within about 15, 20 seconds of starting to pray, that I wasn't sure whether I was seeing this in my imagination or as a vision I didn't really think it was reality, but it was. His whole foot began to change, and all of a sudden that short block of wood covered with skin, it stretched out. The toes were perfect. All of a sudden there was a perfect arch, and it was a perfect opposite of the left. And I've still got my hand down there in the foot, and the little boy breaks off and starts running around the room. First time he'd been on the run in his life. And his mother's jumping up and down, screaming, He's healed! He's healed! Now, you would think I'd be excited, but actually, I'm a little bit uh, angry here. And I'm kneeled, knelt down there, still in the position. I'm thinking, how rude. If I'm going to go all the trouble to pray, you could wait till I'm finished praying. Because it's really not dawning on me until he had done a full lap and come back, you know. 
uh, in a, and, and, I, and I looked at that foot that was perfect that God had actually done this great of miracle. But I'll never forget that mother jumping up and down, screaming. Everybody in the whole place heard her. He's healed. He's healed. He's healed. She was boasting. And even there had been a prophetic aspect because she said, God needs to do a miracle. God wants to do a miracle here. When the Hebrew people, when they realized that Pharaoh and the army were coming after them and they were standing before the Red Sea, before Moses even knew <clears throat> that God was going to have him stretch his staff and part the water, before e- Moses even heard from God, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation. Again, salvation, the word saved, it means so much more than just that initial experience in Christ. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, and you have to understand that the Hebrew people were filled with fear because they did not have the military ability to fight against Pharaoh and his army. They were between a rock and a hard place. This was death to them if Pharaoh showed up. But he said, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And again, Moses is boasting in what God is going to do before he even knows what God is going to do. Abraham and Sarah, 100 years old, Sarah's there in the 90s. They've never been able to have their own children. But the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah concerning the long-awaited child of promise. And Mark referred to this a couple of times, that God is raising up some long-awaited promises, even though there's been the disappointment of seeing unfulfillment, some of you, for years. But he came to them, and the angel of the Lord says, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That was approximately some 2,000 years later before the angel Gabriel visited a young woman. This young woman was not married. She'd never been with a man. This is the Virgin Mary. And he had a startling message for her that she was going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. Now, that in itself would be, you know, a mind-boggling message. But the bigger problem that she couldn't understand was she'd never been with a man. How in the world was she going to give birth to a child? And she said, how can this take place? But Gabriel said to her, just as the angel of the Lord had said some 2,000 years before to Sarah, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel was boasting in the ability of God, just as we just prophetically boasted as we sang, our God is mighty to save. But I want to move on. I want to talk a little bit about what we could call prophetic blessing. And this is an area that I think a lot of people need to understand because a lot of people, they end up giving what they think is a prophecy, but it's not really a prophecy, a word-for-word thing. It's not a vision or a dream, but it's a sense they have, an impartation of faith that God is going to do something, and it just comes out in our own words in blessings. And I think about the loaves and fish 
story. It's called the story, but I refer to it as a principle because it's a, a, a vital kingdom principle that we need to understand. It's so closely related to this whole understanding of blessing. Then Matthew 14, there it says there were 5,000 men that were gathered in the wilderness with Jesus out in the fields. You know, if you can imagine, you know, like 50 miles from away from Edmonton, just out in the plains where there's nothing, you know. And there were county women and children. There probably would have been at least 2,000 people there, maybe much more than that. And they were all hungry. Nobody had eaten for hours. And the disciples, they had a good idea, but it wasn't quite a God idea. They were wanting to meet a need, but they were not involved in what I call vertical thinking, kingdom thinking. What are you saying, Lord? They're involved in horizontal, natural thinking. And they said, Lord, send the people away to the stores, the villages, so they can buy some food, get something to eat. But Jesus said, they need not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they look at these five loaves of bread and two fish they have, and then they probably turned around and looked at these thousands of people and said, you've got to be joking. But they said, this is all we have. But Jesus said, give me what you have. And he took those five loaves of bread, the two fish that were really not even enough to feed the 12, and it says he blessed the food. He blessed it. There is life in our words. Our words can either encourage or they can condemn. Our words can either be in tune with God And as God leads us, as God anoints us, fills us with faith, they can release miracles, or we can just cave in and grumble and complain about the problem and just feed into the problem, actually. Jesus blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and all the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I appreciate the fact that Matt now has the faith to go and eat at McDonald's, Not all of us have that faith. There are certain places you can go and eat. I think it will cause you to get sick if you go there too much, but that's another story. But how many of you have ever been to a really nice, expensive restaurant that the food and the atmosphere are just over the top, just great, but then they bring you your entree that you've ordered, and it's this dinky little portion and you look at the waiter, the waitress, say, excuse me, I ordered the main course. I think you've brought me the appetizer. And there's a general rule in the restaurant business, I've eaten at restaurants all over the globe, that the snootier the restaurant, the higher the waiters hold their nose up in the air. And you say, excuse me, but I ordered the main course. You've just brought me this little appetizer. Oh, no, sir. That's the main course. And so you've got to get a, mic- a microscope to really, you know, deal with this thing, and you cut into it, and it tastes incredible, but it doesn't satisfy. How many of you have had that experience? Incredible food, but doesn't satisfy. I want to say to you, the provision of God, whether it's a healing or finances or relationships or open doors that seem to be shut to you, they always are more than enough. In fact, they always bring satisfaction to your soul. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over, the broken pieces, and they had 12 full baskets. They ended up with more than they started with. But that whole miracle, and I call it not the loaves and uh, and fish story, but the loaves and story principle, because my wife and I have lived out of this 
for the 35 years we've been married now. We started our international ministry the same year we got married. And we've had some seasons in ministry. We've had just great, fantastic finances come through. We have other seasons where things are very, very tight. But we followed this principle throughout all of our marriage that the finances that come in through offerings, churches, individuals, once or twice a month, it doesn't matter whether it's a little check or a lot, whether it's an electronic transfer from churches over in Europe I may be with, however it comes, we'll put our hands on the bank receipts or the checks, and we'll do what Jesus did. We'll, my wife and I together will take these bank receipts or these checks and we'll say, Lord, everything we have belongs to you. And whether we've got a lot at that moment or it seems like there's not going to be enough, we put it in the hands of the Lord, and then we bless it in the name of Jesus. My wife and I have lived out of this principle for 35 years now. And we've had, as I said, some seasons where finances have just been over the top, but we've had some seasons that we're thinking, oh, God, have we lost our salvation? Where are you, you know? But we've done this faithfully, and God has always provided He has always provided, and he has not just provided, he has satisfied us. I remember when my oldest daughter is now 29, when she graduated from high school, and she told us what university she wanted to go to, and we looked at her and said, that was a little bit more expensive a school than we were thinking of. But we prayed about it, and the Lord gave us the green light, so we sent her to that school, and... uh, and it was out of town. She had to have an apartment and first live in a dorm there, then an apartment. And uh, we didn't really have the money for it in the budget, but God provided. And then our second daughter wanted to even go to a more expensive school. And we said, we really can't afford this, Taylor. But we looked at her and we looked at what we knew about the skills and attributes, the desires of her heart, and what we saw the Lord wanting to do. And uh, we prayed about it, and we felt the green light from the Lord that she was supposed to go to that school. So we embarked on that adventure, and five years later, it would have been great if it had been four years, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but five years later, you know, all the bills had been paid. You see, Jesus, he didn't live out of the economy of man. He lived out of the economy of the Father. That's why when you read this in the Matthew, it says he took it and held his hands and he looked up. He wasn't counting the clouds. He was focused on the Father. And he blessed it. We don't focus on the things we see with these eyes, but we focus on the unseen, the Father and the kingdom. He blessed it. It was a prophetic blessing. And thousands of people ate and were satisfied. And I want to encourage you, not just with your paycheck, whether you get it once a month or once a week, or maybe you live on commissions or tips or other things come in, but with everything you have, put it back in the hands of God, but bless it. Because God may call you, maybe through tithing and giving, supporting missions, maybe you yourself going on missions, maybe sending your kids to a university that seems out of budget, I don't know. But he will call you to live out of his budget, not your budget, if you do that. Is anybody still alive? Blessing your sphere or your realm of influence. 
What sometimes get people, gets Christians in trouble is they want to take authority over things that God has not given authority, and that's, that's another message. But those of you who are parents, God has given you spiritual authority to bless your children. The place you work at, you are God's ambassador there. And even though you may be low on the totem pole of the factory or the uh, store, whatever it may be, the office, you are God's representative. I encourage people all the time to do this. I don't know how many people have actually done it, but to consider showing up one day a week early at your office or your workplace. And if you have a private office or a cubicle or maybe you have to sit in your car or just walk around the parking lot, but to speak blessings over your workplace, speak blessings over your boss. Sometimes that takes faith. Speak blessings over the research and development team. Speak blessings over the salespeople, whatever it is. Because that is a sphere of influence God has given you, and we can release life. Rather than just grumbling about the job, why not speak blessings upon it? But especially in relationships, friendships, and in your church, and in your family, God gives us authority. Jacob, his name actually in the Hebrew means the usurper, the thief. Be careful what you name your kids. If you've named a son Jacob, it means something different in English, so you're probably okay there. But Jacob did end up being a thief, a usurper. He tried to steal the blessings that came to the oldest brother from his older brother, and he ended up having to run for his life. He was a misfit, and he reaped what he sowed, and it created a lot of problems later on in his life. But as he was about to run for his life because his brother wanted to kill him, Isaac called Jacob, and he blessed him, not just prophesying, but blessing, because as parents, we have authority over that with our children. And he charged him and said, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojourning, which God gave to Abraham. And although, Ab- uh, although Jacob did end up reaping what he sowed, everything began to change at that point in time. It was just a few days later that he ended up at what he called Bethel, the gateway of the Lord, and he experienced the glory of God. Normally, when I share testimonies, I always tell testimonies of what I've personally seen, healings, miracles, prophetic things. I normally don't pass on other people's testimonies because I think in order to have authority, we've got to own that. We have to have lived through that. But there's a testimony I heard a few years ago that I've shared this in various places. I was doing a conference in Texas a few years ago with John Kilpatrick. Some of you may remember John Kilpatrick of the revival down in Florida, Brownsville. But this is John Kilpatrick's story. Then in one of the sessions he was doing, and when we were doing this conference, he shared that God had taken him on a a two- or three-month journey of learning to study blessings biblically, and every Sunday for about two to three months, he preached on the power of blessing. And one Sunday morning, after he'd been preaching on this for about three months, and his church, kind of an old-style Assembly of God church, the elders and pastors used to sit up on the stage during worship, and now they're making announcements, somebody's standing at the podium, and John Kilpatrick is sitting in his chair there, really focused, he's about to get up and teach his message. And out of the crowd of a couple thousand people in the church, this big guy gets up, walks right up the center aisle, comes right up on the platform, 
and goes over and says, Pastor John, can I tell you something? And John really didn't want him to interrupt him. He's trying to be focused on the message, and everybody's looking at this. He has to get up and start preaching. But he said, well, what is it? What do you want to say? And he recognized this guy because this guy was in his mid-20s, and he had several times he had noticed this guy the last couple of years in his church, and he'd attempted to walk up and talk to this guy two or three times, but the guy would see him coming and, and duck away and always run away from him. There was a stronghold of shame there. And John Kilpatrick noticed that he was always dressed really sloppily, very, you know, just kind of just worn out old clothes. His hair was never combed or brushed. He always looked disheveled and all of that. But something was very different that day. He was wearing new clothes. He had a fresh haircut. There was a gleam about him. And he said, what is it you want to say? And he said, well, Pastor John, I've heard you preach for three months now about the power of blessing. He said, so I did something a month ago. Now, this is the church down in Florida, right? He said, I grew up in Michigan. And he said, my father always despised me. My father always throughout my whole childhood told me I would never amount to anything and I would always be a failure. My father never encouraged me at all. And he said, Pastor John, I've never had a good job. I've only had minimum wage jobs. I've been fired at jobs. I've never had a good girlfriend. I've never had any opportunities. And he said, sometimes when I get a job interview for what could be a good job, I'm so afraid that I'm going to blow the interview, I just don't even show up. He said, my whole life has been like this. He said, but when I heard you for eight weeks speak on the power of blessing, He said, I got my car and I drove for two days and I got to my father's house in Michigan and I knocked on the door. He said, I was so afraid of seeing my father. I sat in my car for 20 minutes in the driveway, but I got my nerve up and I knocked on the door. My father opened the door and looked at me and said, what do you want? He said, I'll bet you want money. He said, I'm not going to give you any money. And he said, can I just come in the house for a moment? So his dad let him in. And he said, Dad, my pastor in Florida has been preaching about the authority God gives us to bless within our sphere of influence. And he talked about how parents have the authority to bless their children, and it changes things. He said, Dad, all of my life you've told me I'm going to be a failure. He said, Dad, would you just take one minute and put your hands on my head? and say something good about my future. His dad just stared at him. And this man said to his dad, Dad, I'll make it easy on you. I'll go in the other room, and I'll sit in a chair, and I'll turn the chair towards the wall so you don't even have to look me in the face. Just come and put your hands on my head and say something good over my future. And he did that. He went in the other room, sat in a chair, facing the wall, And he could hear on the wooden floor of this old house his father for 20, 30 minutes just walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he heard his father walk in the room. And he began to feel drops, teardrops coming upon his head. And his father put his hand on his head. And his father was not a Christian, far from it. 
But this young man said to John Kilpatrick, it's all of a sudden like the Spirit of the Lord came upon my father, and he was a Pentecostal prophet. He began to prophesy about my future. He said, John, that was a month ago. He said, everything has changed in my life. He said, I now, for the first time in my life, I have a good job. He said, a few weeks ago, I asked a really nice Christian girl out on a date, and now we're going steady. He said, John, my life has come together because of the power of blessing. Well, John Kilpatrick really had something to preach about that day. (laughs) But within the sphere of influence God gives you, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, are you still okay? My, I don't do this every Christmas, but most Christmases, as my, our kids were growing up, especially when they got to be teenagers, I would get up early Christmas Day, and I would ask the Lord for a prophetic word for each of my three kids. And we in our family, we have a tradition. We open our presents. We let the kids open one gift on Christmas Eve, but then we'd open our presents Christmas morning, and then we'd take a, a coffee break, and my wife would cook some pastry, and then they'd get to do the stocking stuffers. But starting about maybe 12 years ago, I got in this habit of I'd get up early and wait upon the Lord. And in that break between opening the presents and the stocking stuffers, we would always do a devotion. But in addition to the devotion, I would put my hands on each of the kids, and my wife and I would speak a prophetic blessing over this next year. But in the Hebrew culture... There's a tradition like when, um, uh, oh my gosh, what we were just talking about, like when Isaac blessed Jacob, when a father would bless the oldest son, they would put their hands upon the head in a certain way. Jim, would you come up here and just stand right here facing me? That when the father would give a patriarchal blessing to the oldest son, he wouldn't put his hand here, but according to Hebrew tradition, he would just put his hand like this. And Thank you. Great job. (laughs) And I don't know the full reason for that, but I suspect the symbolism is that as they would encounter difficulties and challenges in life, they would see the Father's hand of blessing upon their life. So my oldest son is now 20. My youngest child, our only son, (laughs) is now 22. But when he turned 18, my wife and I did something very special That Christmas morning, I had spent a month (coughs) praying over a blessing, not just for the year, but for their future, about the different calls each of them have. And we typed it up in kind of like an old font, and I crumpled up the paper a bunch of times to make it look like uh, old, old paper. And I made these boxes out of cedar and framed them and put those in there and uh, shellacked it, covered it over. And we gave it to each of our three kids, the particular blessings for their future. And that Christmas morning, my wife and I, especially myself, I put my hands right over their eyes. Because although our oldest daughter is our oldest child, and we have our second daughter, then David, in the Hebrew culture, the blessing would always come to the oldest son. But in Christ Jesus, we are all co-heirs with him. We all come into the oldest, uh, the blessing of the oldest son. And my daughter just moved back to be with us. She was living in Cincinnati. She's 
moved back to San Diego, and we just got our room set up. And right there on her bureau is that box hanging with the blessing. And my kids have those boxes hanging on the wall because we want them to constantly look at the prophetic call upon their destiny. And our words can have either discouragement or encouragement. They can either release life or, as it says in Proverbs 18.21, they can release death. When Jesus appeared to the disciples immediately after the resurrection, he said to them in John 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Everywhere Jesus went, even when he encountered sinners, he blessed people. He never condoned bad lifestyle choices. He never condoned sin. He did not come to bring acceptance and affirmation of people right where they're at. He came to restore people to the image of God and the call of God upon their life. But he blessed people. And as Jesus was sent by the Father to release life-changing blessings, you and I, in our culture, in our nations, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our families and friends, we're called to release blessings. It doesn't have to be a prophecy. It doesn't have to come out of a dream or a vision, but just out of your heart, speaking words of life. And so in 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul said, Having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I speak. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Let's stand. I want to lead you this morning in a corporate word of blessing. And the reason I'm doing this particular message is I believe with all my heart, in fact, when I spoke with Mark several months ago, about it's unusual for me to come back to a church twice in the same year, but I felt you as a church, you're being launched out into a whole new season of breakthrough. And as I said, it's one thing to get a prophetic word, but what are the keys? And I believe one of the great keys is how we use the tongue. And I want to challenge you. I know when I mentioned about cursing, grumbling, complaining, that was really not for you. That was the church meeting down the road right now. But my father was a, a great guy. He was, had been a great athlete in high school, and he was a test pilot in the Air Force. He was a fighter pilot, and he was just kind of a, a man's man. He had an IQ off the chart. He actually worked on, uh, on IQ tests for part of his uh, college thesis. He was just off the charts bright. But he's probably the most sarcastic, critical individual I've ever met. And I just grew up with that. And so even as I emerged into ministry, it was just so natural for me to be highly caustic, sarcastic, and critical. But one day, a pastor, a friend of mine, he and his wife were visiting us when we lived in San Diego. And, and uh, we were sitting in a little study I had. And he said, uh, Mark, I, the Lord's given me a, a word for you, but I've, I've been finding it hard to give to you, but now I know how to give it to you. And he said, you've got that book on your bookshelf by Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. And he said, Mark, we just love in our church circles in Europe the blessings you bring and the encouragement and how the Spirit uses you. But he said, Mark, you've also got a problem that you haven't meant to, but you've hurt some people and sometimes even hurt churches by saying caustic, sarcastic statements. 
And so I took that word to heart, and it didn't happen overnight, but over a period of several years, I learned what James talked about, how to tame the tongue. And even when we're in a frustrating situation, and when you fly 140 days a year, when you fly, uh, I fly about 100 to 150,000 miles a year, you can get in a lot of frustrating situations. But I've been in situations in airports, on airplanes, in hotels and things, where I found you can change the whole situation by speaking words of blessing rather than words coming purely out of frustration or anger. And I believe, that just as you have a high value of prayer and worship in this church, but in every area of your life that God wants to bless and take you to the next level, allow God to be Lord of your tongue, not just when we're in church or prayer meetings, but in every situation. So here's what I want you to do. If you're with a friend or a family member, a close friend, I want to ask you to join hands with them because we want to do this as a church. And could you put those words up? And uh, we're going to read this together. Go ahead and let's read this together. Lord God, I believe in you and your word. I believe that you are El Shaddai, God Almighty, who desires to not only enable me for abundant life, but who will also do for me what I cannot do for myself, and even more than I may be a blessing to many others. Part two. Yeah. Despite any previous difficulties and failures, I proclaim your good promises over my life, my family, my marriage, my sphere of influence, my job, my ministry, my finances, my emotions and intellect, my body, and all the talents and abilities you have given me. I agree with your word that in all respects I may prosper and be in good health just as my soul prospers. Your promises of abundant life in Christ are more powerful than my past disappointments. Because you, O God, are good, I will bless you at all times. Your praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in you. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Now, just put your hands on the shoulders of the person next to you.
and say these words, I bless you in the name of God Almighty. That your past disappointments, your past failures, shall not determine your future. If God is for you, who can be against you? I bless you, your family, your health, your well-being, the talents and gifts God has given you. I bless you to prosper and for this to be a breakthrough season like never before. So you've got no excuses. <laughs> Amen. And as you continue to receive from the Lord, we want to remind ourselves that when Israel was walking through the wilderness in a lesser covenant, they had no infirmities whatsoever in their midst, no barrenness, no blood issues, no hemorrhoids, nothing at all for all of those years. And so we can raise our expectation of what God would like to do for us. We don't have to settle all the time. So, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, let it not be a strange thing that we would believe to be whole that we would believe to be like Caleb and Joshua, who in their elder years, Lord, their sight was not dimmed, uh, nor was their strength decreased. Father, you, these are the things you long to do. These are the things you are glad to do. And we want to step in to the world where that becomes normative where this is our daily bread. So we break all the nagging thoughts that are already crippling our bodies, all of the threats, all of the expectations of genetic illness, all the expectations of geriatric conditions, and all of the things that we consider normal, you have to expect this, we've been told. We say in Jesus' name, Lord, renew our minds, renew our minds and pull us out of the ruts of the world around us so that we can think differently, Father. Just as we're continuing to bask in this, because testimonies bring faith, uh, Valerie, do you want to come and share that testimony you shared with me via text? Uh, this morning, um, Max climbed into my lap and he poked me in the eye with his fingers, like right into my eye socket. And I had a bl- like just a blinding headache all morning. But I really wanted to come, and it was like 10:30, and I was like, "Okay, hey, we're going, we're going, we're going." So we went and got in the van, and I'm still like battling this headache, and I start to feel it go down into my neck. And I was like, "No, I'm not getting a migraine. I'm not getting a migraine." And I was like, guys, we got to turn around. We got to go back. And all the kids, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. Like, me too. I want to go to church too. I was like, let's pray. Pray for mommy's head. And, and I was like, just ask God to heal my headache. 
And so all the kids, they all get really quiet. They're in, this, they're in the van. They're all really quiet. I'm like, you guys can pray out loud. I'm like, we don't want to. So <laughs> they're praying for my headache. And uh, all of a sudden, I actually felt like it started to release in my neck. And uh, uh, the pain started to leave from behind my eyes. And I was like, guys, I think God just healed my headache. And Mike is like, it's because I prayed, Mom. Mom, it's because I prayed. <laughs> and, uh, and that's not just, like, even Friday night, I felt like bringing the kids. We've been dealing with stomach issues in our house for, like, a good three weeks, maybe even more. And kids have been in my bed almost every night crying about a stomach ache. And we were here on Friday night, and Mark prayed for stomachs. And my kids were all falling asleep at the back, and I just laid hands and asked God, just like Mark's been speaking about this weekend, and no one has been in my bed. No one has complained about a stomach ache, and I just believe that it's that simple. God is so good, and he just is waiting for us to ask. He's so good, and he's just waiting for us to ask. Even our little children, our little children can ask, and so I just believe he's touched us this weekend. Amen. Amen. It's just that simple. Let's just... Reach your hand out toward him. Father, Lord, as much as Mark has come and, and blessed us, Lord, we know that there, uh, he also is on a journey. And we ask for great grace for the journey that he and his wife and his family are on. Lord, I ask God for an unfolding strategic wisdom for the days that are ahead, even as he transitions into new dimensions of faith and ministry and anointing. God, we ask that those things would unfold in him. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his humility, even in sharing the testimony at the end of this morning. Lord, bless those things and continue, Lord, to seal up those, uh, those things in his life so that you can amp up that water pressure. Uh, and that glory that would flow through his life and ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.